Welcome to the Jay Kim Show. This is your host, Jay Kim. I am an investor, author, and fitness entrepreneur. And for the first time in Asia, I sit down with the world's most brilliant minds in business, investing, and entrepreneurship. You'll learn all the secrets, strategies, and formulas to becoming a successful entrepreneur directly from the masters. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insight to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Today we sit down with Chris Brogan. Chris is one of the very first bloggers that ever existed. This was back in the 90s before anyone even knew what the internet was. He is the CEO of Owner Media Group and is a New York Times bestselling author of eight books and highly sought after public speaker. Chris has won a number of accolades. Tony Robbins had Chris on his Internet Money Master Series. Forbes listed Chris as one of the must-follow marketing minds of 2014 and put his website on the 100 best websites for entrepreneurs. Essentially, what Chris does through his owner media group is he provides education and tools for aspiring entrepreneurs to get their businesses off the ground. So I think you're going to really enjoy today's episode. He is a very good guy, and he just has a wealth of knowledge that he shares with us. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time. Uh, for our fans out here in Asia, perhaps you could give us a little bit of a rundown. Who is Chris Brogan? How do you make a living? Well, sure. Uh, my name is Chris Brogan. I run a small company called Owner Media Group. We do a few different things. I'm a business advisor, and we also work with smaller and independent organizations through giving them courses and webinars to help them with strategy and some systems and tools for what we call the modern business. So I've worked with uh, some of the biggest companies in the world like Google and Microsoft and Coke and all those kinds of people. But I also work with people who run their own little design shops and uh, holistic veterinarians and a guy who runs a fence company. Uh, and a lot of what I work to solve is very much the same for both, which is how do you grow your business and reach the kind of people you hope to serve? Right. So you're a problem solver. I find it pretty fascinating that you have gone from working with some of the biggest brands in the world, like going from a Disney or Coke or Google down to, like you said, you you work for just regular average people every day just trying to solve business problems. So why did you decide to to scale that way? As in a lot of people dreams are to work with the large companies. And instead, it seems like you get fulfillment on a daily basis working with anyone. So I'm a book author as well and a speaker. And my last book was in no way successful in the United States, but it has been very successful in, strangely enough, China. Wow. And it's called The Freaks. It's called The Freak Shall Inherit the Earth. It's a slightly different title in Chinese. I don't remember how it plays out, but uh, the idea is basically it's an idea for entrepreneurship for sort of atypical people. Um, when I looked at books about entrepreneurship, it was essentially two white guys shaking hands in suits. And <laughs> I figured, you know, maybe there's some other types of perspectives out there. And I really wrote it for my daughter and my son because they're both weirdos and there's no way they're ever going to have a normal cubicle job somewhere. And so I thought mm. I really ought to show them how they could run a business doing what they love because I think a lot of people get that wrong when they think it's you know, I, I love to juggle, so I'm going to be a rich juggler or something. So anyway, back to big companies versus little. Uh, one of the chapters in the book is about how do you define your own success? 
And I said, my personal definition of success, which is just mine, is being able to say no to the things that I don't want to do. And so that's, you know, last year uh, in my business, it was not the most successful financial year. It was, a, it was a horrible year financially. But I also didn't say yes to anything I didn't really feel like doing. And so I feel like I had a really successful year. Um, when I work with companies like Google and Microsoft and those kinds of people, I love that they're big. I love uh, commanding that kind of a fee from that kind of a company because I'm trying to deliver something that's on the big enterprise scale. Um, but I don't love that a lot of times my ideas get sort of into the smile nod and that sounds like a nice idea good talking to you um and nothing ever gets done Mm. and so the one thing i really love about working with smaller companies is that i'm usually talking with the owner and the implementer at the same time Uh, in a big company i'm either talking to a chief executive type person or something like you know talking to uh, bob Iger at disney and he'll nod his head and say yes great but nothing goes because it's not like we met with the kind of people who would actually make it run. Mm-hmm. And on the, on the other side of that, if I am talking to the implementer, then they don't necessarily have the power. They're like an internal champion who maybe does or doesn't have the support. So that's what's hard about big companies. And what I like about little companies is you see end-to-end, Jay, how it works. If I say, hey, why don't you try this? Right. They can say, oh, that's weird. I tried it and it worked. Or they say, it didn't work. You're an idiot. And either way, I learned something really fast with them. Yeah, and I guess the impact that you can make on a smaller organization is is uh, is much clearer at the end. So I guess that's it could be more fulfilling. You bring up an interesting point, Chris. You were talking about last year being successful in a different way, other than being financially successful. I was just wondering, do you other you know doing what you love is is probably the holy grail of of being an entrepreneur and it's it's the reason why a lot of people set out to be an entrepreneur and people have different notions of oh what what an entrepreneur is some people think that you're sitting on a beach sipping pina coladas and just watching your paypal account accumulate money overnight and other people are more real about it and they understand that it's exactly what you said it's the the freedom to choose what you want to do are there ever days where you wake up and you're just like you know what screw it, I'm just going to do nothing today or I'm just going to go hang out with my my partner and kids or, or, or what have you. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, one of the beauties of this kind of life that I've built for myself is that I can choose how I want to spend it. Um, I'm a Eastern United States, East Coast, New Englander type of guy, um, very similar to the 2017 Super Bowl winning Patriots. Uh, I'm a big fan of work. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really like the ethic of, hey, we should go do something. And so I don't spend a lot of time with my feet in the sand doing my ties. And also, you know, the people who sell that vision are the people who make the money off that vision, right? Like very few people end up on that beach next to that other person with the Mai Tais. Um, <laughs> you know, they made that money buying your, uh, you know, taking your money and you're still sitting on a train somewhere going to your dumb job you hate. Right. And so, you know, I like to show people there's a way that you could actually run a business that serves other people and that service to the other person is the real core tenet of the business. Um, and that's really what separates me with, with a lot of the sort of internet marketer types is that every single time I talk about business, it's all about service. It's all about how do you find somebody that you want to serve and how do you help them grow. And my version of do what you love is really serve the people that you actually want to work with and be around. And that's, to me, 
I think that's sort of why I gravitate towards these guys who run fence companies and things like that. I don't hang out with very many startups. I know you do. Like that's part of your your career and your life is you like to go hang out with a bunch of young people at hackathons and stuff like that. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I'm too into things like revenue. And I'm too into things like, you know, people making money with a serious, uh, you know, actionable business models and things like that. And I think that both need to exist. And I've just decided that my side of the teeter-totter is this one. Sure. I mean, everyone loves revenue. That's very important. Okay, well, Chris, that's awesome. Let, let's take a quick step back. I know that you have a, you have a long history with a relationship with the internet. And uh, you were one of the first bloggers that ever existed before perhaps the term blogging even was around. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your history, how you got into sort of the early early web 1.0 uh, and, and blogging, and how you think that, you know, being an early adopter, you were there, you were early on Twitter, your hand is on the pulse, so to speak, your finger's on the pulse with social media and these trends that are happening. I see you on Facebook Live a lot now. What, what do you think the, the, the trends and the future of social media are uh, going forward? So maybe a little bit about your background and where you see this whole thing going in the future. Sure. Uh, you know, I love these moments because I get to feel like old man Brogan uh, because <laughs> I got into the online world way back when it was bulletin board services and your your computer would plug into a modem and you would dial a very distinct phone mm. number and one person at a time could log in and leave a comment on a message board somewhere. And so if you imagine when you're tweeting something like the Grammys and you're like, you know, what is CeeLo Green wearing? Uh, and then millions of people message you back. This is like you dial in, you wait for it to connect, you go to the right file, you type in what is CeeLo Green wearing, and you hang up and wait for someone else to dial it in and voice their opinions. Right. Went a lot slower. But I, that's actually what got me into that. Was So I was a guy raised up in the northeastern part of the U.S. called Maine. And mm. Maine's small and semi-rural and, and there's you know not a lot going on. And the conversations that were around me when I was younger – uh, we're really getting kind of old. You know, the the things that people wanted to talk about were which was better, Van Halen or Led Zeppelin? Did you like Camaro or or Mustang? Um, and were the Red Sox ever going to win a World Series? And that was that was pretty much the three questions. And then maybe we talk about weather. Uh, none of those conversations were interesting. I want to talk about superheroes and you know how could Batman beat Superman? And you know isn't Star Wars cool? And so when I got online, I was able to talk to people all around the world and that's actually kind of what brought me through to everything else I ever did in life because I just thought, wow, it's so neat that we could connect with people around our interests instead of around our proximity. Um, and that's been a, like a through line of all the work I've ever done. Uh, my early business career was I worked for the phone company. Um, I worked in customer service for a lot of those years uh, and call, different call center type jobs. And um, I went into wireless telecom and did all kinds of other fun things there. Um, mm. But back in 98, I started journaling when it was called that before it was mm -hmm. blogging. And that really started catching my interest. And, and I would be working on my job, but I'd be thinking, man, wouldn't it be neat if I could you know, find some way to make a business out of media. And it took me until about 2006 to do that. And it was, I ran an event called PodCamp, which was about mm -hmm. podcasting with Christopher S. Penn. And on the second day of that, I got hired by someone to come and help run his conference video in the net, Jeff Pulver, uh, who is famous for co-founding Vonage back in the day. Right. Um, and he's a serial entrepreneur and whatever. He's got investments in almost all the cool social networks that you've ever heard of. Um, <laughs> so, 
I, I guess I was into it back then. I, I I've really tried most of my life to shirk the social media guy label um, because I think that it's one of those labels like blogger um, that has people look down on you all the time. And so I've, I've really tried hard to keep myself fashioned as, you know, a business advisor and a digital marketing professional and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean I don't know it. Uh, I was user 10,212 on Twitter and that was back in uh, March, uh, October. I lied, October of 2006. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is world changing, and everyone was like, "You're stupid," and it took everyone else until like 2010 or so to start coming onto Twitter. And so I seemed really prescient, but it, I just knew that there was something cool about the velocity of communication there. Right. Um, I did not think much of Facebook. I thought uh, very little of MySpace. Um, I concede that Facebook is better than I thought it was, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm only on there because the 1.7 billion people are also there. Right. As far as the future of it, I mean, in, in the moment you and I are talking, Snap is getting ready for their IPO, and I think it's shenanigans. I'm so nervous because I'm, I'm right about two-thirds of the time on what's not going to work, and I have this really burning part of my gut that says this one's not going to work. But yeah. you know, when I said in 2006, oh my gosh, Twitter is amazing, everyone thought I was stupid. Now every single day, every day worldwide, uh, news reports involve Twitter every single day, partly because of our current choice of U.S. president. Right. But I think that things like Snap, I don't think Snap is the tool, but I think it's what comes before the tool. I think Snap is what AOL was or something. And, oh, right. and that's right. a bad example because AOL was like, we'll make the whole web easier, and Snap does not do that. But I think Snap is pointing at, we'll make things ephemeral, we'll make things a lot more in the moment, and we'll make things a lot less formal. And I think that those details, you know, separate of the device and separate of what you're supposed to do with the platform, are what people should be clinging to when they look at trends because we're mobile first, finally. Um, we are... Um, you know, in the world of WeChat and in the world of Line, you know, we're seeing these ecosystems being built up. But I don't even think those apps, those platforms, I don't think they're the be-all. I think that right. something next happens. And I don't know what it is, but it's thinner. It's Snapchat thinner, but I don't know what it is. And I think that that's what we should be watching for is that breaking apart of platforms like WeChat and Line and to sort of take away the ecosystem part and I think the part that'll that'll uh, maintain itself, Jay, is very similar to the fact that Facebook login exists all over the web when we wanted a universal login solution. Um, right. I think it might be the commerce elements. I think I think WeChat mm-hmm. has done an amazing job of making commerce, yes. you know, a, a huge powerful engine inside the platform. And I think what else they're doing on top of it is not as important as they might become sort of the next wallet, more so than Bitcoin in my mind. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I, you, you're absolutely right on Snap. I'm, I'm very nervous about it. But they're, they have figured something out, and I think uh, it has to do with the attention. And people's attention is very short now, and, and that's why it's so hard to grasp. Them. Even Facebook, right? Facebook is, is great. They're like the institution, but at the same time, my feed, I know for a fact, and I only follow, I don't follow that many people, but mm-hmm. I can imagine if I followed more pages and stuff like that, my feed would be completely inundated like my Twitter stream is right now, right. where I miss 99% of the stuff. So, um, But I, I, I agree with you, and I think that it's an exciting time. 
it's definitely changed. And the other the other thing, Chris, is that's really cool is that. So I've been kind of ever since I launched this podcast, I've been people are like, hey, what's a podcast? All this, this and that, and you know, I'm telling people, look, podcasts have been around for over a decade, just not in Asia, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it's really cool that you were also an early uh, podcaster, and you were there in, in 2006 with your uh, with podcast. So I, th- I think that that's really special. So let, let, let's talk about uh, let's talk a little bit more about your entrepreneurial journey. I mean, I know that. You're obviously a New York Times bestselling author, which is an amazing uh, accomplishment. Um, and you've you've done a lot of things. You've you've like like you sort of detailed in the beginning. You've you've worked at large companies. You've you've sort of brushed shoulders with some of the greatest and most brilliant minds uh, in the world, uh, which I'm very jealous of. Um, uh, being a podcaster now, uh, so. What, if anything, are there ever times when you were felt like, okay, I, in order to achieve this sort of success or, um, you know, accomplishments, was there anything that you've had to sacrifice along the way to make that happen? Was there any, any moments in your life where you're like, you know what, I, um, you know, I, I, I should have done this or I feel like maybe I could have done more of that, uh, but instead I did this? Ha, huh, that's interesting. I have the feeling that... <laughs> The, the way that that translates in my head is I don't think I made any particular sacrifices, but I definitely did some trimming. So one thing that people come to me a lot with as uh, aspiring entrepreneurial types uh, is they say, I've got a couple hundred ideas and I have another hundred more. And I did the same thing. I mean, between 2009, 2010, I, I was... 2010 was like my peak year as far as revenue goes. I've never made as much as I did that year. And you know, it wasn't world-shattering numbers, but it was just like that was my good year. And I invested so much of that money into ideas that I thought would be really cool, my own ideas and you know, occasionally some other people's. And I lost pretty much all the dollars. I, I lost every single dollar. And it was like uh, probably 400000 in expense to stuff that just didn't pan out. And like that's not a fund or anything. That's just like what was in bank account. And and right. that number sounds so huge that it's like, whoa, good thing you still have so much left. And I'm trying to stress in this podcast, I don't. My point was I spent everything <laughs> and lost it. But uh, I say that to say that, or was it 200? I don't know. It was several hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> it was a lot. And the the most important storyline of this is to say that it was like buying my own MBA. Because what I learned was, to your question of sacrifice, you can't run everything down. You can't be everything. The minute you try, especially on your own resources and especially with a very small staff, um, you're going to fail. I mean, there's very few Walmarts compared to Dollar Shave Clubs. You know, right. There's so many more ways that you can make a win out of, I think I'll sell one type of razor blade for a while and see how that works. Compared to, I think I'd like to stock some shelves with 5,000 things. And, right. and so um, I tell people that, and not necessarily a sacrifice, but can you shelve all your ideas and just work on one for a while um, until you start finding some threads that connect them to other ideas? And then you can pull them all out again. I mean, the way my business runs as a media company, I, write, I run a podcast right now. I've got a blog. I've got other websites that I maintain, just all for me. And then I work with... A bunch of big companies and then a whole lot of small little guys. I also write books and I also manage my keynote speaking uh, career as well. And so that's a bunch of different things in the fire. 
but I use all of those things all together to keep educating people on how to make their own platforms, how to build better media systems for themselves and their business. And then also to keep my ear to the ground on new developments and things like that. And, and, right. you know, I just want to t- touch directly on the podcast point you made about being able to reach cool people. I think at this point, the only reason I have a podcast at all is so I can vaguely justify asking people that I admire that I can see if I could talk to them. And I think that right. the whole reason I do it, I was, I'm trying really hard to reach uh, General Stanley McChrystal right now. He blew me off. Oh. He said, no, you're not that good a person. <laughs> he didn't say that, but they said that he was really busy. So Yeah, so who, who are some of the people that inspire you? I mean, I know that you have inspired hundreds and thousands of people. Um, you know, I mean, you're you're public speaker and you obviously uh, New York Times bestseller, like I mentioned before, and, and you do a lot of good work. So who's, who, who are the people that inspire you? Um, my, you know, probably top besides my parents, because they have to always be above um, everybody else. But Sir Richard Branson, I admire a mm. lot. And I got to interview him a long time ago for Success Magazine right. on a fitness and health article. And you know, so I've I've been fortunate to to already say, hey, I already talked to the guy that I probably most want to talk to in the mm-hmm. world. Um, but I'm interested. I talk to a lot of special operations, military people, because I think their determination is something that a lot of business people could really learn from. Um, oh yeah, the way they parse their lessons. Like my when you and I are talking, the last episode of my podcast was another Navy SEAL, Eric Davis, um, who wrote a little ebook called uh, Habits of Heroes. And I thought that it was kind of cool. And his other uh, mainstream book, Raising Men, was fun. So I had him back on. Um, so I like those guys. I'm also very inspired by stories from people who are just doing it very differently than anybody else, who are kind of like weirdos. And mm-hmm. so I'm always looking for, I, I, we, who I'm least ever looking to talk to are people that are like me. People who right. are out there chasing the media dream. That's, that's the least interesting conversation I can have. So I find like <laughs> video game designers and artists and uh, farmers and things like that because we're not going to learn from talking to the people that we'd go to conferences with. We're going to learn from the people that we would never normally run into. And that's who I think are the best guests. That's right. I think that's uh, that's very that's key. And the, the deeper I get into this podcasting uh, game, I'm realizing the same thing. You know, I mean, I get inspired by uh, a lot of the same people that you go to conferences with. But I, I can already see that at some point there's going to be some fatigue there, and there's there's uh, I, I'm going to try to look for some more interesting guests. So you mentioned your different business lines. I like the idea of having sort of many irons in the fire. Um, so let's talk about specifically. Let's say for me, I you know I'm trying to run a small business. Let's say I have a podcast and maybe um, trying to do some blogging and whatnot. How can uh, your company, Owner Media Group, specifically help me as a just a small business owner? Maybe how could I level up my my business? Uh, and what products do you have that could potentially help me out? So some of our core things that we came up with were again directly solutions that we came up with for people that we were working with and who said, you know, I have this problem going on. So one of the things that we launched, and it's funny now because when we did it, I feel like such a hipster saying it, but like we did this kind of early and then all of a sudden it seems like everyone's selling this. We said, hey, you know, one way is you could stop trading hours for dollars and so you could learn how to make an online course. Well, now there's like a couple hundred people teaching how to make an online course, so that's not that yeah. interesting. But we have a site called uh, onlinecoursemaker.com. And what's different about mine is just that I show people how to make a very lightweight, simple kind of execution of a course. And I think that there's some really great thinking, great uh, meaning people out there that 
wants you to make the most polished, bulletproof, amazing, spend a few thousand dollars on cameras and lighting kind of courses. And then there's me that's like, you could make this this afternoon if you want. And so I, I kind of go for that. The other thing is that once we finished Online Course Maker, it was kind of funny. We sold a lot of that. That was our best-selling course. And everyone got to the end of it and was like really jazzed up. And so they started building their course. And they went, oh, my gosh, Chris, who do I sell this to? I don't have a list. I don't, I don't have any customers. Yeah. And I was like, what? Like, why would you even bother making a course? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know because you said make one. I was like, oh, okay. So I, I made a, a course right away called Earn More Customers. Like I had just finished Online Course Maker and people were complaining that they didn't know who to sell this thing that they'd built. And I was like, oh, so we made Earn More Customers. So you can go to earnmorecustomers.com. Now the thing is too, Jay, my, my earlier courses had names like The Owner's Heart and The Owner's Mind and The Owner's Path and people were like, what do I get? So now I make courses called <laughs> Online Course Maker. You know what you get when you're done. You've learned how to make it. There you go. Earn more customers. Hmm. What do I get when I'm done? Uh, yeah. And you know, the other thing that we sell the most of is this thing called the 20-minute plan jumpstart. And what that is is that there's so many people out there trying to figure out time management, and we decided that time management's a dopey thing. Gandhi said we all have the same 24 hours in our day. It's just how we choose to use it. And so we do priority management. And so we have a system by which we show people how to work on the things that matter most so that they're not chasing down their to-do list all day. Like uh, We're very not into getting things done. We appreciate that it exists. We appreciate that there's a lot of people who are uh, disciples of it. And I would definitely love to have coffee with David Allen someday. Um, mm. But the way we do it, Jay, is that we say, what if you could find three slots of 20 minutes each times three, so nine 20-minute slots or three hours, basically, um, to really work on what matters and what's really going to grow your business in every single day. As everyone says, oh, I don't have to, I just got done talking to a client 30 minutes before you and I talked, who that was 100% her problem. I went to her website and her website had a coming soon page. I said, what do you sell? She said, websites. <laughs> I said, let's just back up one quick sentence here. You have a coming soon for your website. I know. <laughs> and I was like, this is like two and a half hours of work for you. And she goes, I know. And so I just told her it's not allowed and she has to get it done today. So that's the plan. And that comes from this 20-minute plan logic. So when you said earlier about don't you have days where you could just hang out with your kids, my business partner, Rob Hatch, had developed a course based on something that he and I had worked on starting in like 2011, which was work like you're on vacation. Mm. Rob went on vacation and I needed him to do a whole bunch of things. And um I'm not in any way some kind of demanding boss, but I was like, Rob, I need this, I need this. And he was on vacation. And of course, his wife and his kids are like, Dad, what are you doing? You're like all over the laptop. And I'm not a jerk, so it's not like I want him to be on the laptop, but you know, business doesn't stop because someone goes on vacation in a three-person company. Right. And so Rob figured out, oh my gosh, if I get up really early, I could just do all the work and I'll be done before 10 or 11, and then we can all just go do our vacation. And so he gets back from vacation, he goes, why don't we do that every day? Why can't we just work a couple of hours and then like have everything else nailed? Why do we treat all days like they should be eight to 12 hours? Right. And something cool came of it. So 20 minute plan is me ripping parts of Rob off and then making this 20 minute plan jumpstart. So it's such a long answer, but hopefully it was interesting because people could see what I'm going after. What I'm mostly always trying to build, all the different courses and webinars and things that I build and sell, and we have like a private coaching group called Owner Insider where people ask us for very custom solutions, always trying to solve the same thing. How could I do business my way? How could I make my own game and approach business in a way that's going to uh, match my needs and the people that I serve as opposed to just fit tradition? 
Yeah, I think that's really important because once you start going down that entrepreneurial path, all of a sudden, you it's like you're you have a thousand different options. You know, you can spend your time on you could spend hours trying to tinker around on your website or your Facebook or you don't know which vertical that you're supposed to be spending your time with. So uh, to have a guide is is very important. I, I think that would be very useful. Um, even something as simple as, no, well, it's not simple uh, once you get into it, but say building an online course, there are a million options out there on how you can do it, email sequencing, what kind of product you should roll out. And uh, and I think that it's it's really key that you find someone that has successfully done it that you can uh, that you can sort of uh, tailor to your your needs and copy. So so in addition to twenty minute plan jumpstart, which uh, which I think is a is a very telling name. Uh, wh- what else are you working on specifically in two thousand seventeen? I know you are you writing another book. <laughs> I am. I you know which is funny is in the span of time between the time you and I last talked, I, I put out my ninth book, and now I'm uh, wow two thirds of the way through my tenth. And so this this one's called Make Your Own Game. And it is in 2009, uh, Julian Smith and I wrote Trust Agents, and that was the one that hit the New York Times bestseller list. And the very first tenet of how to be a trust agent was learning how to make your own game. So, in one way, I'm kind of circling back to something that I said in 09, but it's all unique and new content. And the other thing is that no one, like I said, no one bought The Freak Shall Inherit the Earth because they, uh, in America, everyone said, well, I'm a big solid business, and there's, the last thing I'd want is entrepreneurship in my business. And this is not true. The big companies want innovation. That's what you read in every magazine and every news story. Uh, companies lacking innovation. Um, they just didn't understand that innovation and entrepreneurship are kind of the same word. Right. It just means like take a different approach to get the gold. So on the one side, I, I, make your own game is written so that big companies will say, oh, I see what you need me to do, Brogan. I get it. And on the other side, if you're just some you know weirdo like you and me, and we're just trying to figure out a different way of doing business, you could pick this up and, and run with it and make it work. So it's so weird because I feel a little bit like I'm cheating. Like I feel like I'm saying, come get this big business, people. And I'm like with my hand really close to my face, whispering to other people going, it's for you, little guys. So <laughs> it's both. Nice. And so when's that book going to be out? Uh, sometime in 2017. I'm still in the throes of writing and I'm writing a lot slower than I wish I were. But I, the beauty is that the last iteration of this book, I just couldn't seem to publish. I couldn't make it work. And I just threw all of it in the trash. This time, every time I feel like I'm missing something, I'll find it already written in another section. So I feel like there's a nice gel going on. Nice. Um, Chris, we would like to wrap up here soon. Just a couple last questions for you. Sure. You've obviously accomplished a lot. And uh, you know, you, you sort of are an authority uh, in, in your space. How do you want people to remember you by it? Like, what what do you, I mean? You're New York Times bestselling author. You're public speaker. Um, you've done a, a number of things. What's one thing that uh, you know when when you look back on your life? I want to be remembered by as Chris Brogan is X. You know the the thing I'm hoping people say over coffee someday. You know when I'm long since dead is man that guy really made me feel like I could do something. It really made me feel like I could accomplish something. And that's all I want. I mean, I don't really want to be remembered for any particular. I didn't create the Tesla. Um, I didn't launch a spaceship or anything like that. Um, and I don't want to be thought of as a genius because, one, I'm not. But, two, I, I think it's a weird thing to be considered. But I'd love to know that I helped someone you know, move their own ball forward a little bit. I'd love to know that someone took something that I came up with and went, 
whoa, this fits me better. Um, that's what I want. Awesome. And uh, final piece of advice for an aspiring entrepreneur who might be struggling at their this moment in their life? So, especially when you're struggling, it is never about looking down at your own belly button. It is 100% about reaching out and helping other people. Entrepreneurship is actually the action of giving to others and serving others and then uh, extracting some value back from it. That's how you make your money. When they say risk and reward, the risk is you're trying stuff that's never been done before. The reward is you get paid for it. But you have to go and help others. Entrepreneurship is the least about what people perceive you to be and the most about did you or didn't you help someone so that they can refer you to someone else. Mm, very powerful. Ah, uh, man. Okay, Chris, thanks so much for uh, your time. Uh, I guess the last question is where can people find you, follow you, and connect with you? Um, well, if you're daring, you can try to spell Chris Brogan and you'll find me. Or just type in Chris most times in Google. I'm lucky enough to be in the first couple of results. Or nice. just go to owner.media. And either way, you'll find me. I'm out there. Awesome. Thanks again, Chris. We really, really appreciate your time and all the insights that you've given to the audience here in Asia. Oh, it's been such a pleasure, Jay. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care now. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.